We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, RotoViz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to RotoViz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021, and you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Radio brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Nathan Powell, this evening joining you from the Central Time Zone for the first time. I I believe I, I don't think I've done a podcast in the Central Time Zone before, Dan, for once and for the foreseeable future. We are both in the Central Time Zone as I have moved to Chicago. So how are you doing, friend? Well, it's good having you in CST, or as I like to call it, correct standard time. <laughs> Nathan made the big move finally. We got him in the Midwest where where people, you know, we just thrive, you know, out here in the sticks. So, yeah, it's it's good to uh, not have to worry about different times. <laughs> yeah, and for, for what it's worth, how little I cared about uh, Central Time Zone previously. Anytime I ever sent Dan a text, I would just put, hey, you want to do the pod 8 p.m. East? I would never say, like, 8 p.m. East, 7 p.m. Like, you know... As, as Danny Carter would say, East is the only legitimate time zone. But I will say that it is nice to, like, you know, basically you get to go to bed an hour earlier from all the things that you normally watch. <laughs> yeah, th- this time zone uh, allows for a lot of things. Obviously, less views, which is unfortunate, but everything else works out. I will say, because of you, I learned the Eastern time zone much, much better and had a really good understanding. <laughs> Of, of how time zones work in America and, and throughout the world. And obviously, when we still had Eric, we had three time zones to work with. So that was really fun. All right, that's your time zone talk for today. 
now we're gonna do some news and notes, a little bit of IR talk, and then we're last time last time we talked about rookies' path to production. This this week we're gonna be talking about sophomores' path to slumping. So basically talking about a sophomore and how they are going to not live up to expectations, or how basically how things could go wrong in 2021. All right, so our first news and note. We talked about this guy being a buy with the opportunity being given to him with um, Marquise Hollywood Brown injury, but now Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman has an injury of his own and is listed as week to week on the injury report. The big takeaway here is that the Ravens' offense might be in trouble. <laughs> uh, you know, we were slightly worried about it with the Hollywood Brown injury. More so, even worried about it if they don't have Hollywood Brown or Rashad Bateman. I'm not sure where the targets are going, other than you know Lamar Jackson's legs and and J.K. Dobbins's legs. But it, there it, it is the fact that it, we're still recording on August 10th, so we have a month basically for them to heal up both Brown and Bateman. Are you worried about you know maybe a lack of chemistry building over the over the next few weeks with Bateman out, or do you think this is more of just you know they'll figure it out once things get started in September? Well, obviously, it's never good for for a rookie to not be fully available for, for camp, for practices, gaining that chemistry with his quarterbacks, fellow receivers, full full offensive grasp. Uh, that is very, very important. I don't think it's a huge detriment to Rashad Bateman. I think he is about as polished of a product as you can get for an NFL rookie. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be perfect in every facet of the game. It's an entirely new offense at a completely different speed than he's used to playing. So everybody, it, it takes time to grow and, and to get into NFL readiness. But I, I think Rashad will be just fine from an ability level. I, I think he's got everything that we would like to see in, in a rookie or an NFL player in general. So the, I, I'm more worried about the chemistry as for the Baltimore Ravens as an entirety, because Lamar, you know, is, I, is he still sitting? I mean, I don't know that he's no, no, he, on the field. No, he's back. Okay. So Lamar's back, but there was still some missed time there. So he hasn't really had a full, you know, onslaught of practices with Lamar Jackson. Hollywood Brown's been out. So he's working opposite different wide receivers, which doesn't seem like and, it'd be a huge do, deal. Do, Duvernay's out as well, so they have like no wide receivers. So then you lose your you lose your slot guy, and it's not a huge huge deal in you know kind of as far as like the offense goes because everybody should know their roles and everything. But there's guys that do certain things differently, and they can work with one another and and signal differently. And there's so many moving parts that it's it's hard to say it's anything but of like a slight negative that all of these guys are missing time either in different times or at the same time. But I think overall this offense will be fine. It just may take them an extra couple of weeks to get really flowing. But I still have pretty high hopes. Yeah, I mean, that hits the nail on the head that there's no, like, dynasty limitations. Like, Rashad Bateman's dynasty value is not down. Lamar Jackson's dynasty value is not down. But you have to temper slash lower expectations early on in the season because they're not going to have any, you know, practice really to get get things started. And so not that maybe – I don't think many people were expecting to have Bateman in their week one lineups, but definitely don't expect it now. Expect him to maybe get your lineup like week five, week six, week seven – but there's definitely, um, you know, some tempered expectations. And then with from a redraft perspective, this does worry me for Lamar. 
Um, because obviously when you're taking Lamar, whether it's a one QB or a Superflex League, you're taking Lamar as a, as a QB1. You're expecting to have him in your lineup every week. And I'm not saying you're benching Lamar if he's healthy, which you're not because he's going to get the legs to get out of the floor anyways. But I will say that if you're considering, you know, uh, Dak versus him, I think it's easily it was easily Dak before, but even more so now with, with Lamar's, injur- Lamar's COVID slash everyone else's injuries. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically tempered expectations slash drop Lamar a little bit in redraft. Yeah, see, I think for Lamar, I mean, the floor with his legs is so ridiculously high that even if he performs as a passer as like a QB three, I, I don't really think we're losing a lot. Now, we know what the upside is. We all saw 2019. We all saw what this could be. And with really limited pass catchers as well. So now you get an explosive offense. It could take a little bit of time. But even so, I, I think as far as Lamar goes, he's he's pretty much on pace with where I would have had him before he's in that upper tier. Uh, like you, I, I'm still taking Dak. I'm still taking probably Kyler and, um, you know, Patty Mahomes, the, the lot, you, you know, the breakdown of how it goes. I don't really think we're, we're moving Lamar Jackson a little bit. I think maybe that there's just a gap in there instead of him sliding back further in the QB setup, like in the QB rankings. I think there's just a bigger gap now, and Lamar will fill that gap as he's he's 100% and his offense is 100%. Yeah, and there's another guy who you w- we would probably value similarly who also is facing injuries who we'll talk about in a little bit. Next one we have is the Colts quarterbacks. We talked a bit about the Colts quarterbacks and the Colts offense last week, so we'll, we'll just uh, quickly talk about a development that is a little bit surprising. Uh, Sam Ellinger has been getting some first-team snaps. It sounded like when the Carson Wentz injury happened that – um, Frank Reich was, you know, hitching his wagon to Jacob Eason saying, he's our man, he's going to be the QB1. And now Sam Ellinger is taking first team reps. He's going to play with the first team a little bit in the first preseason game. And this seventh round quarterback is going to have an opportunity to win this job. I, it's much more of a competi- competition than I thought it was just seven days ago. Sam Ellinger, he obviously from a like strictly like box score, not, not talking about the road of his box score, Scott, but strictly like box score perspective, he was actually, you know, he, had, he put up big numbers in Texas, and then the road of his box score scout, he does have some nice similarities. Uh, Sim score of 56 with Andy Dalton, 56 with Deshaun Watson, 55 Ponder, 48 Locker, 35 Daniel Jones. So there's there's some hits, some misses there, but the two most similar being Andy Dalton and Deshaun Watson, that is a positive indicator for at least being a halfway decent career backup. Um, so I... I think that Ellinger could win this job, and he has the rushing ability to, and especially in the red zone, uh, to be fantasy productive. So Ellinger's a guy who I'm certainly looking at as, as a stash in Superflex. Granted, he, he was free three days ago, and now he's going to cost you like a fourth-round pick. But, I mean, it's worth you know checking things out with Ellinger. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of the Johnny Manziel bit without the attitude. That's, that's kind of what I get from Ellinger. I, I think he could be useful but i mean both of these i mean we know that jacob eason is pretty bad (laughs) or probably isn't he isn't like an nfl quarterback uh sam ellinger i think brings that the aspect on the ground that it could make him at least a little bit useful he's a better passer than Taysom hill and Taysom hill just signed a massive contract so i i think he (laughs) i mean it's gonna sound crazy but there's a chance frank reich figures out how to use how to use him in the offense and and make him a productive runner that helps open up the offense, something that Carson Wentz wouldn't have been able to do. Now, Carson is a much better <laughs> thrower, but 
like I said, you can unlock stuff in offenses by just having an, a mobile quarterback. It's kind of crazy how it works and how defenses have to back off like that, but it, it can open up. It can open up everything. It can help Jonathan Taylor, obviously not having Quentin Nelson for a little while as well. That that's going to affect the line. And the perception here was that Wentz was going to have an elite line and then maybe Eason or Ellinger were going to have an elite line and then Quentin Nelson goes out. So now that line is still good, but not great because that he's the glue, right? He, he's your, he's your absolute monster up there. So I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird spot. I, I don't really think there's uh long-term value in either one of these guys, but I, I it's hard to believe that Jacob Eason's going to win this job. Yeah, and that's the you know simple fact we're talking about every single year. Any any quarterback who is getting starts in superflex is a positive you know indicator, especially one that's getting that rushing upside. So the Colts could be it, not can be the Colts are going to be a very bad NFL offense with Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger, but that isn't going to stop Ellinger from being you know a high end QB three, low end QB two if he's in the lineup. Yeah, I mean there's going to be some volume. Obviously the the pass catchers aren't overly elite they, they've got a, a couple of guys on the up and coming and one guy that's kind of on his way out in ty hilton but th- there should be enough of a floor on the ground assuming assuming ellinger gets the job that he he'll probably be startable for teams that went kind of the zero qb or late qb mentality and really like to use the stream options um i think you got to get in now before any news or any or any comments are made by Frank Reich and, and the Colts. As or and basically, or before Ellinger out, outplays him in the first preseason game. Which I think will happen. And I, I, I mean, I think we're probably both in the same boat here. I think he's a much better, a much better, at least prospect than Jacob Eason. All right, let's move on to, from a poor quarterback situation to what should be a good one. And it's one Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has struggled in training camp so far. Uh, he's described his tr- his struggles as a mental thing, essentially saying that like he he's very much saying like it's August, I'll figure it out by September. But that's not something you want to hear from your starting quarterback that you know it's not good now and maybe it'll get better later. So this is something that I'm certainly concerned about as someone who has Joe Burrow on a few teams and certainly has plenty of the Bengals weapons on my teams. So. What are your, what are your thoughts on Burrow's you know mental struggles possibly here? Do is it is it this is definitely causing a decrease in his redraft price tag? Do you think that's warranted? Uh, unfortunately, yes. It, it'd be one thing for you or I to say that he's not there mentally, but when Joe Burrow himself says he's not there mentally, that's a little different story. Even if the coaches were to say, "Well, you know, he's coming along slowly. He's doing his own thing. He'll get there." That's a completely different scenario. So this, to me, it, I kind of get mixed vibes. Like, I want him to just be fine, and he's like, hey, I'm just taking it at my own pace. But at the same time, you kind of have to worry about it because if he's not there mentally, he's just going to get worked, and it's not going to go well because that line's still very mediocre. With all of the weapons that they have, he should be fine, and he should be able to get the ball out quickly. But if he doesn't trust himself and trust his leg, Ah, I, I don't know. I, I don't like, it's a weird spot. I, I said that same kind of thing with Andrew Luck when Andrew Luck got hurt the very first time and he was never the same. I don't, I'm not trying to like bandwagon, like, yeah. Hey, two mile horn, but it, there's something weird about these quarterbacks. Carson Wentz is another one. He looked good that his second year before he got injured. Right. And then it just wasn't mentally, wasn't the same physically, wasn't the same. 
I would like to think Burrow's going to be on a different path, but we've seen elite guys ha- have it happen to them and very mediocre guys have it happen to them. So I- I'm a little worried to say, to, <laughs> to say it at the, you know, at the very least, but um, honestly, if I can move off of him in dynasty at this point for a lateral move or even going down to, to a tag of Iloa and maybe two and a pick, something like that. So I actually saw on Twitter uh, this week, someone did, and I think this might be a little bit rash, someone did Burrow and a second for Tua. So they traded up for Tua. But that, I think that's overthinking things. You're moving off of one injury for another guy who's coming off you know, a major injury. Obviously, he's a year more separated from the injury. But if you're going to be scared of Joe Burrow's injury, you should be cognizant of the, the next player's injury you're trading for. Yeah, and I mean, those arrows are pointing in different directions. We've heard nothing but good things about Tua so far, and now nothing but negative things about Joe Burrow. So um, I I, I guess I understand it. It's not a move I'm willing to make. I would want the second on the other side for it to be something. Because I do think Joe Burrow, talent-wise, is a better talent or or at least has a higher floor than Tua. But at at this point, now that Joe's kind of doubting himself and we haven't heard anything but positivity out of Tua's camp, maybe these two are closer than we think. And maybe at this point they're just interchangeable. Yeah. Or even, or even possibly trade up. Like obviously month, two months ago, you probably could, could do very little between Joe Burrow to Herbert, but if you can upgrade from Burrow to Herbert, I think that's a move you can also, you know, still make it might be a little more expensive than it was before, but you know, obviously you have more options than just trading for the other two ranked quarterbacks, but you know, that's kind of what you're looking at when you're, when you're trading, possibly trading away Joe, Joe Burrow. But I will say, we talk so often with injuries and things like that, that this is going to be, this is what they call a buying window. It might not be a buy low window on Joe Burrow, but you can now trade for him when you probably couldn't a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. When, when any kind of news like this happens, it's so much easier to get guys at market value. Just if there's that little bit of doubt in owner's heads, uh, it, it just makes hitting accept so much easier rather than when, you know, the flowers are blooming, the grass is green, the sky is blue, all of all of the rosy things. It's so much easier to just click deny because no, there's nothing going wrong for your asset. And all of a sudden, here's just a pile of negativity towards towards one player. And it's much easier to accept something that's market value. And like you said, I don't necessarily think the market value has really sunk. It's probably decreased slightly, but it's so much easier to make a trade for someone with a downward arrow for sure. All right, let's move on to some NFL news. The NFL has announced that there's going to be unlimited IR once again. Players can come back after three weeks on the IR list. Um, and, for, you know, before in 2019 and, and previous, basically you could have like three players come back from IR and it was after like eight weeks. So they're back to the COVID rules for 2020 with the Delta variant running rampant and tons of vaccinated players and unvaccinated players, you know, getting COVID. So... I guess the, the fantasy question here is, are are your fantasy leagues that you commish, whether you commish them or, you know, someone else commission them, are they sticking with the 2020 IR rules or or are you are you going back to 2019? So it's kind of a weird spot because I'm I'm a fan of having more IR spots with the restriction that they had to have been on your roster when they went to the IR. There's a whole bunch of free agents sitting in in the you know the waiver wire that all just all of a sudden go to the IR or it's one after the other and you start grabbing them and stashing them. That's not something that I'm cool with. But if they're on your team and they go to the IR, absolutely you should be able to keep them. 
and create a roster spot when they aren't usable. That's your asset. They were already on your squad and they got hurt. So you should be able to retain them without any penalty. It's just part of the part of the deal. So I'm I'm of the preference to allow essentially an unlimited IR, assuming the player was already on your roster when he was sent to the IR. Yep, for sure. So yeah, I think that in general you're we're looking at more of a return to, uh, to 2020 for another season. Um, but yeah, so just make sure that you're you're keeping aware of what the NFL is doing and what your league should be doing. Open communication is all we talked about a ton last year with and I know some people did the whole, you know, substitution message board thing. I didn't do that last year. I won't be doing it this year. Um, but also the NFL has come out and said that I don't like, I don't think they've outright said it, but like they've hit towards they're, they're going to try not to postpone games that if there is uh, you know, a COVID outbreak, then it's going to be a forfeiture. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're kind of over at this point. They just want people to be vaccinated and just kind of be able to move on with it. Obviously, the vaccine isn't stopping anyone from getting it. It's preventing them from getting really sick. Right. So uh, you're still going to have top positive tests, but you know, if you're vaccinated and, and the, the lot, you should be, your team should still be eligible to play, even if you have somebody on the, on the COVID deal. So uh, I think we'll see a lot more, probably more, not necessarily more positive tests, but more of seeing guys go and having to sit out, but their team's still playing rather than team games being postponed for a couple of days or for a week or for a month, whatever it is. And teams just flat out playing. It costs the NFL too much money. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, let's move on to our sophomore path to a slump. First up, we go to the quarterback position, a man I mentioned in the Joe Burrow conversation, and it is one Justin Herbert. Dan, how do we get our way to a Justin Herbert sophomore slump? Because honestly, it doesn't seem like it's very likely at this, at this stage. Yeah, I mean, the offense is is essentially what it was last year, minus Hunter Henry, but they added Jared Cook, so... I'm not necessarily sure that that's a downgrade of any sort. I would assume that's a lateral move uh, at at worst. But you, you've got Keenan Allen still. You have Mike Williams. Uh, obviously, Austin Eckler is healthy and, and looking great at camp. Uh, you add in a couple of younger guys, your KJ Hills, Josh Palmer, uh, even someone like Joe Reed could potentially you know come out and, and be somewhat useful. Obviously, these are all depth guys, Jalen Guyton. But... 
with your main your main squeezes in Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler all being ready to go. The addition of Jared Cook, I don't really know how Justin Herbert can go backwards uh, unless teams start to figure him out, figure the offense out a little bit, which does happen. We've seen it before. We've seen we've seen NFL defenses because that's kind of what they're paid to do: figure teams out after after a rookie campaign and learn how to shut somebody down. So. I, I still think Justin Herbert is is at the level where he'll figure out a defense before the de- the defense figures out Justin Herbert. But we'll I guess we'll see we'll see if the Chargers continue to be a little bit more innovative if Joe Lombardi keeps uh, keeps that team afloat. But uh, I, I it's a hard way for me to find a decrease in Justin Herbert. Uh, last year obviously was a massive season, but it's hard not to say sky's the limit for Justin Herbert. Yeah, and it, when you're trying to poke holes in his pro, in his like profile for the 2021 season, it's hard to do it. So I'm gonna you know kind of find a straw man here and say one possibility is that if the Chargers with a healthy Austin Eckler go more run heavy, uh, Austin Eckler did miss six games in 2020, and so with a healthy Austin Eckler, they spent a, a draft pick on a running back. So with Larry Roundtree, so. You know, one way where his fantasy production could decrease and possibly not live up to like a top five type ADP is if they just run the ball more. You know, they they did pass the ball plenty in 2020. So, uh, you know, he, he had 600 attempts in only five games. So that's kind of where I would poke the biggest hole would be a, an increase in rushing volume for, for the running backs. Yeah, that's very possible, especially if Austin Eckler stays healthy for the entire season. Uh, I mean, the, the line is, is fine. I wouldn't say it's great. I wouldn't say it's bad. Um, but we'll, I guess we'll see if Austin Eckler holds up, it it could be a much more balanced offense and throwing 600 attempts in 15 games is, is pretty crazy, but you know, I, I think we, we saw him be pretty darn efficient with those attempts as well. And I, I just don't really know how that changes much. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go on to the running back position. We have uh, a running back from an offense we talked about at the beginning of the show, and that's J.K. Dobbins. So he obviously did not have as stellar of a rookie season as Justin Herbert did, so it might be a little bit easier to poke holes in his uh, you know, profile for 2021. But the absolute main way for J.K. Dobbins to not live up to expectations would be the Ravens offense being terrible and bad and awful. And it, it's definitely within the range of outcomes of the Ravens offense being as bad or worse. And this is, I'm talking to somebody who I've been bullish on the Ravens offense all off season, but we're getting to training camp and they they're missing three wide receivers. They're missing their quarterback for the first bit of training camp. There are ways for things to go awry with this Ravens offense. And if it does, then JK Diamond suffers. So there's, there's a couple of ways that, I, I mean, you could probably attack this. it's going to lead for sure to the pass catchers suffering. The Ravens just got Gus Edwards back, obviously JK Dobbins. I I think with that two headed monster in the backfield, plus Lamar Jackson, the offense will probably just be a continuation of 2020, which wasn't great. It wasn't 2019. They suffered through the air. However, they are still able to score points essentially at will And from the last eight to 10 weeks or so of J.K. Dobbins, once he really got implemented into the offense after after the first few weeks of just kind of getting a a small share and kind of going from there, 
I, I think we saw the glimpse of what the future was going to be for J.K. Dobbins, and that was pretty explosive, but limited touchdown versatility or, or ability, I should say. So I think I think his ceiling is relatively capped as long as Gus Edwards is healthy and as long as Lamar Jackson is the quarterback. However, I think he can thrive on yardage, and I think he's going to be a bigger part of the passing game because if these wide receivers continue to struggle to stay healthy, someone's got to catch the football. And it's hard not to see J.K. Dobbins in a role like that. Yeah, for sure. And another possibility is, you know, Mark Mark Andrews just becoming like a 160-target guy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. That is definitely a possibility. But, yeah, I think that the, the main main hole in Dobbins' game is, the is you know, like you said, he's going to de- develop that passing game, but the main hole in his game is the possibility that the Ravens' offense disappoints. Let's move on to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So he, he – it's hard to really have a sophomore slump when you had a rookie slump, um, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, didn't live up to expectations in 2020. Uh, he had – Andrew, three rushing yards with eight, 181 attempts, 4.4 yards per carry. And I think that, honestly, the way he has a sophomore slump is more of what he did in 2020, just not efficient running, running the ball. And the Chiefs just decide, you know how we're going to score points? We're going to pass the ball. And passing the ball to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and, to an extent, Cole Hardman is a better option than, than passing to CEH. Yeah, I mean, CEH essentially had the same rookie season that J.K. Dobbins did, but on like 80 more touches. So that's that's not a great sign, a lack of efficiency in what is historically going to go down in the books as one of the best offenses ever. Uh, CEH really isn't that guy that creates for himself, though, whereas J.K. Dobbins can and will. Uh, CEH kind of has to have it develop in front of him in order for him to to get what we saw at LSU, right? He, he wasn't, he wasn't making the running game, the running game and the offense as a whole made him. So I still think we'll see Andy Reed and, and this chief's offense really start to develop more. I think they lean too heavily on Mahomes almost all of the time, which I mean, it's hard to say that doesn't work out because I think they're doing okay, especially with a couple of title rings. Uh, so I would like to think they'll get more well-rounded kind of like we've talked about in the past with some other teams, but this one to me, it's, he just feels underwhelming. And like we've talked about, it's you're chasing the volume on the offense. You're not necessarily chasing Clyde Edwards-Alaire, which is why there was so much, you know, willingness to go and get all of the other guys over the last couple of years, people chasing the, the Daryl Williams and the, and the, um, with the Darwin Thompson's, or whatever his name is, Sean McCoy. Everyone chases the guy because this offense historically under Andy Reid, no matter where he is, the running back always produces. And I mean, the running back kind of produced, but when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, you kind of have to lean on that guy. Whereas historically, Andy Reid has always had, well, somebody like Donovan McNabb or Michael Vick. Uh, that's a little bit different. <laughs> those those two historically aren't uh, the most efficient or elite passers. Big arm, but not, you know, not exactly elite. So I, I think we can see a pretty clear line for CEH to just kind of continue what he did as a rookie. You know, minimal yards per carry average, which obviously is a bad stat, but I, I just don't see him as a super, super efficient back. 
and I think he just kind of is what it is, what he is. We we hope to see more volume, and you're chasing that. That's really all you can say for Ceh. All right, let's move on to the wide receiver position. We have T. Higgins of the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think that there are a variety of ways. And though I think we've talked about him as a value going in the fifth round of Rotoviz Draft ADP, wide receiver thirteen. There are some ways for him not to live up to that that expectation or that value. The number one being he's going to be the wide receiver two in this offense. Jamar Chase, top five pick, being drafted at wide receiver six in Dynasty AD, at Word of his Tribex ADP. So if Chase eclipses him early, it, I think it might be hard for him to be, to be valued as that top 15 wide receiver. And then there is the uncertainty of Joe Burrow's injury. So if Joe Burrow isn't healthy, it's going to be nearly impossible for T. Higgins to live up to that value at wide receiver 13, regardless of Jamar Chase's performance. But this was my big concern after the Jamar Chase pick was that the, the ceiling is, you know, a little bit capped when when you have another, you know, top end wide receiver on the opposite side of you. Yeah, it's been a, a weird couple of days, I suppose, with with the Joe Burrow news. And, and you know, I, probably everybody that listens to the show knows how much I love T. Higgins. I'll say I'm more worried about the Burrow news than I am Jamar Chase. I, I think that will affect him and the offense, obviously, a lot more than Jamar Chase will. I think having Jamar Chase opens things up. It it limits volume to a sense, but having Jamar Chase across from you uh, rather than Tyler Boyd, and I'm not saying Tyler Boyd is a, a you know a chump by any means, but Jamar Chase is a completely different level of, of NFL wide receiver, at least based on what we saw in college, where his, his draft capital lies, all of that. So... I think this offense is going to be as explosive as its quarterback can be. If Joe can can keep that head on his shoulders and stay healthy, this this could be very, very, very easily a top five offense, especially when you consider you still have Joe Mixon in the backfield and three probably top 20 wide receivers. That's that's pretty impressive. I, I just I worry about Burrow. I'm not worried about T. Higgins. I still think Jamar Chase is going to be borderline, if not elite. And Tyler Boyd could be one of, if not the best slot guys in the NFL. So it's, it's a tough spot. I think it's a, it's an easy way to see a slump for T Higgins because of Joe Burrow and not because of Jamar Chase. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely a fair option. I I think, I think that you talked about, you know, having a good option on the opposite side. I do think that raises Higgins floor a bit. I think that's, it just, it, narrows his range of outcomes from, you know, wide receiver one overall to, you know, wide receiver 20 to like, now it's like wide receiver like 12 to like wide receiver 24, I think as around where he's, you know, projected to be landing. All right, let's go to our last player. And it is a player who had a bit of a injury scare on uh, the hall of fame game. And that is one chase Claypool. How will chase Claypool have a sophomore slump Dan? Well, Ben is probably the easy or the easy response there. We never really know with Big Ben. Is he healthy? Is he not? Uh, what's the deal? But uh, there's so many mouths to feed, and I know we always go back to that. I don't know how Big Ben at this stage is, is supporting three wide receivers, but with Juju, with Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool, uh, I think – Claypool's volatility is something that he'll keep him kind of at bay. I think he'll have 
he'll have game winning weeks and he'll have game losing weeks. I don't think we see a consistent enough uh, amount of points from Claypool week to week, uh, at least in the in the future, in the near future. Now, when Ben retires, finally, then we really won't see a consistent unless they somehow back their way into another Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, <laughs> which, you know, is there's precedent for that, I suppose. But Claypool is just a little bit too volatile for me. It seems it, it they I mean, he's a massive playmaker, but his targets are boomer bust, essentially. Now, if he starts getting the targets that Deontay, Don, Deontay Johnson gets, which I would prefer they gave him to chase Claypool because I think Claypool is better with the ball in his hands, whereas Deontay Johnson is just kind of like poor man's sane Michael Thomas. Uh, and Juju is very explosive, obviously, as well. I would like to see them feature Juju and Claypool with Deontay Johnson playing a little bit more in the middle or kind of a secondary role. But the Steelers seem to love Deontay Johnson. And for me, that only caps Claypool. Yeah, and the number one way for a sophomore slump to happen for Chase Claypool is his touchdown regression. I've talked about it all offseason, 11 touchdowns as a rookie. Not going to happen in the offense with Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson as a sophomore. So the number one way is that you know, he was heavily reliant on touchdowns to get to where he finished in, you know, the wide receiver rankings. But he's going – so he's I think he's just going to have a general decrease there. Like I said, I think he's fine. And I think that all three of those, Johnson, Juju, and Claypool, should be drafted in, in the same area. I think Claypool has the most upside long-term. But honestly, I think he has the lowest floor in the short term. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's fair. Like I said, I think he's the most volatile of the three. Um... And before we close the topic, are we back in on James Washington once they trade him? Nathan, thoughts? <laughs> James, James Washington, the Saints, and I'll, I'll be all in. <laughs> Ooh, former second-round pick. He's got the draft capital that you love so much. I'm in. Get me back in. Get us in. I mean, we'll have to have, uh, we'll have, to have uh, Eric on the show to talk about AJ Green, so. <laughs> I forgot about that. In case anyone doesn't recall that or wasn't around back then, uh, Eric once compared James Washington, who is what five ten and like two hundred and thirty pounds, to six foot eleven AJ Green. <laughs> He's not six foot eleven, but tall, lanky AJ Green with similar play styles, even though they play completely different. I still love James Washington. I'll be back in if they trade him. Let's go. <laughs> All righty, that should do it for this evening. Make sure to follow, rate, review, and all those things. We. Appreciate you and get yourself a Rotovis subscription, RV Radio 2021. Any last words, Dan? That should do it. That should do it. And we are out of here and called Boosh. Stay inside.